0: Dr. Collender, welcome back to your very informative shows. What's the news this week?
1: Well, Amory, you know, we we were going to talk a little about prevention today as opposed to focusing entirely on COVID, but it's hard to get away from COVID because it's in the news all the time. And you mentioned at the break that there's some upticks. And what does that mean and how does that affect us?
0: Yeah, what does it mean and why did we all of a sudden have another outbreak when everybody's staying home and everything's shut down and they're shutting down more and more? I mean this place has been shut down for a year now. What else can you do? Siobhan just came back from Miami. It's packed there. There's right, well, not any definitely
2: not shut down there, so perhaps that's part of it. I I don't know.
0: But I mean, look look at the news on uh, South Beach last week. It was like, you know, uh New Year's Eve and Times Square. Yeah, body but, but think to body. about it. A lot
2: of tourists, and like we've said before, those people are all going back to their home bases, and that's where they're taking it to. So you can't necessarily judge based on the people in Miami
0: spreading it within Miami. Uh, but people even are
2: traveling more now.
0: But even so, you're right. There's people that go there and they come back. But that's not the point. Why are the hospitals there not seeing an influx of more and more people? And why are they not worried about more and more cases in Miami? And here we are. We've been closed like a monastery for a year. Well, Getting I, worse, going down the drain, Dr. Colander. Yeah,
1: I think, you know, again, now it's, you know, I don't want to speak for the people who have loved ones in the hospital, but still there's so many confounding issues to why hospitalizations are going up. And I think a big part of it is, number one, primary care doctors are not seeing sick people. And I really think that a lot of early COVID can be managed as an outpatient uh, to some degree. And, um, most doctors are heavily screening their patients against being seen, whether it's a virtual visit or if they're sick, they're not allowed to come in. So not being able to see somebody, lay hands on them, listen to them really has a, you know, a negative impact. And the patient really is left with no choice, but to go to the hospital and the hospitals are afraid to uh, send people home with COVID, and also, to be honest, the hospitals want a high census. They make money when the census is high, and if people have not been going to the hospital because of COVID, well then the only thing that keeps the census high are COVID patients. So if you walk in and you're sick, they're going to admit you.
0: I think it's really pathetic though, you know, this this business of what you have to do in order to get to see a doctor, be it an orthopedic surgeon, or your your PCP or any doctor at all, an allergist, what you have to do, jump through hula hoops. Uh, in certain buildings, they've got people downstairs that are stopping you, you know, like the police station stopping you before you go in, to anybody in the building. And you have to answer all these questions. And if you check one question, hi, I have the sniffles. Or I had a headache yesterday. up, oh, You're not getting in. You might be a COVID patient.
1: Well, and another thing that continues to be missed in this whole story is the concept that chronic disease is caused by inflammation and COVID is an exacerbation of the inflammatory process that any single person has. So I'm a fan of vaccines because vaccines prevent the inflammatory process that any specific virus may cause to someone and not allowing patients to see their primary care doctors, to treat the conditions that drive chronic disease and not allowing patients to see their dentist, if not more important, because we know more and more that oral health is a key driver of chronic disease. So when you're in an environment, meaning this COVID environment, where you're at risk for having a severe inflammatory event, yet you're prevented from seeing the doctors who manage your baseline inflammation it's a recipe for disaster. And all of this has been lost in the talk about vaccines.
2: Right. And I was, we actually had a caller, I believe, last week that called into the show because she was unable to get an appointment to, am, like, to ask a question about something. Like she, she had maybe shingles or something and was wondering about the right. vaccine. But yeah, exactly. Having to call into a radio show to get an answer to a question.
1: And we've talked about how the messaging from the powers that be, you know, the CDC, Dr. Fauci. You know, one week it's, hey, go see your dentist, and the next week it isn't. I should say, for one year it's don't see your dentist, and for a couple days it's go see your dentist. You know, proper oral health is critical to preventing chronic disease. Managing your diabetes is critical to preventing chronic disease. And if you can't see your doctor, then you are not managing these conditions so that when you become exposed to COVID, then the outcome is going to be that much more catastrophic because, the, the, again, we talk about inflammation. Inflammation is what drives chronic illness. You're not controlling it. And then you get exposed. You know, I, I keep saying it's like throwing gas on a, on a fire. The fire is the disease that you already have, the insulin resistance, the high blood pressure, the heart disease, the, the sleep apnea, periodontitis, all of these things that go unrecognized. Um, and then you get COVID on top of that, and that's why people were dying.
0: Well, you're actually still seeing patients in your practice. You're open every day. You're still seeing people. I, I mean, never really stopped. Yeah, see, I mean, that's tremendously important, and uh, th- there's not a barrier to them to them to come in to see you. You have to be able to see your patients or be available to communicate with them on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. Let's come back and talk about that. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, what further advice do you have to give us now that we've got this uptick in in COVID and what patients with uh, chronic diseases need to know?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is to get vaccinated. So if you've been listening to the show that you know I'm a fan of vaccination, Um, and I'll say again that I still think that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are what I'm recommending to my patients as opposed to the, and I know AstraZeneca is not out. We're not going to go into that today. But um, the DNA level of vaccines, I think, are, uh, because there's questions about AstraZeneca in my mind, it makes me question all of the DNA vaccines. Time may prove this to be a non-issue. But for right now, I like the idea of the mRNA vaccines, which are the Moderna and the Pfizer um but I think getting vaccinated is important, especially if you're in a high-risk category. High-risk category means you've been given a diagnosis of any kind. If you have any other, if you have any health condition at all, then you should get vaccinated. As soon as possible. Siobhan, you have a caller?
2: Yeah, so we have Stacy from Belleville. Stacy, what's your question?
3: Um, hi, yes, my question is, my mother was um, diagnosed with Inca vasculitis. Um, She has completed her vaccine regimen. However, she is due to receive her next um, infusion of rituximab. And I'm wondering how that um, is going to play with the vaccine. Will she need another um, booster shot uh, with her vaccination?
1: Well, Stacey, thanks for calling and asking these questions because they are very thought-provoking. And the challenge these days with COVID is that everything is new ground. You know, everything that happens is new and the first time. So um, I think your mother should just go ahead with her treatment. Um, She, you know, because she's at high risk for complications of COVID, she she went ahead and got vaccinated. As far as booster vaccines, I think we're all going to be getting booster vaccines for the variants that are coming out. Um, and future variants that are gonna come through because again, coronaviruses, which of what COVID is, are novel to humans. So humans just have not been exposed to that many coronaviruses. Um, and we, we're we gonna need vaccines to keep us from um, having uh, complications. So I think we're all, not just your mom, but we're all gonna be getting uh, boosters. Um, I just think we're all being asked questions that do not have answers because there's no prior precedence to, to know, and there's no one doing data or research on them yet to know the answers to the, all those questions. But it's a great question.
0: Well, one of the things I want to ask you, Dr. Collender, is obviously you have a practice that's open 24-7. Your patients all have your cell phone number. You're answering the phone all the time. You're texting with patients. They're able to come in and see you without jumping through hula hoops. What about the rest of the population that's out there that's worrying about the fact that now we're supposed to have this uptick in COVID again, and it's a variant, so they say, and they can't even call about these simple questions like the last caller or all of the callers that we get. They have all kinds of questions that they want to know just about their how they get from day to day during this pandemic with being prevented from seeing their doctor.
1: Well, you know, emory I'm going to suggest to our listeners that they listen to our Sunday three o'clock show where we talk about this in detail, Right, that the healthcare system is really not equipped for prevention. It's a population-based system, which means that you can't access your doctor on a regular basis because they have too many patients. They're dealing with a large population. You're one of thousands
0: well, it was Literally. bad before, but it's worse now. Oh, it's yeah. way worse now because now you've got to jump through hula hoops to get in the building. Right. So it's a major
1: problem. So uh, it's it's the the issue about population medicine and uh, is is we really don't aren't able to look at people in detail. It does take time, and time along with identifying the ways to find people's. Drivers of inflammation, whether or not they have disease or not, what's causing their disease—all of that is a lot of time with each of my patients. So, uh, very important uh, piece of the puzzle that's not that's missing completely from healthcare right now.
0: Well, you're seeing your patients. You are see, you're actually physically hands-on seeing your patients. You're not shut down. You've been seeing them all through the pandemic. And I would like to know why is it the rest of us, whether you have to go and see your dermatologist, Siobhan wanted to go and see the dermatologist last week. You've got to check this big questionnaire. You've got to get your temperature taken. What if you have, have a fever because you have an ear infection, not because you have COVID, you're not getting in? Is that the way we've, we've got it right now that it's like a police state? You can't get in to see your doctor?
1: I don't understand it either. Like you're a doctor. You're supposed to see people. I like to see people when they're well so that we can work on getting them even healthier. But, of course, you have to see people when you're sick. Why? Of course, you got to check their temperature, but not as a barrier to treatment. Not as a, a... Oh, Why
0: is that? I mean, why are they taking temperatures you walk in? Because, obviously, you could have a temperature for a number of reasons.
1: You know, well, I'm going to come back to COVID. You know, this, in the beginning, it was an unknown problem, you know, in that you had a virus that people have not been exposed to. We did not know the transmission rates. We did not know how it spread. We didn't know how uh, deadly or not deadly it was. And bless you. So uh, it was the dog. Right. It wasn't a
0: person. It was right. the dog sneezing. So, okay. You know,
1: so we didn't know those things. So the CD put up these guidelines to keep people from each other. And this social distancing, unfortunately included our doctors we had to social distance ourselves from our doctors and our our healthcare professionals. And that left the only recourse that people had was to see go to the hospital. And that's why hospitals were overrun. Plus,
0: people were sicker back then. Well, I don't see that anything's changed. I mean, it's equally as difficult last week and now and today as it was way back a year ago. You can't get in unless you lie on the application. I mean, when you go, go through the door, they ask stupid questions like, do you know anybody who's been exposed to COVID? How do we know? We walk into a supermarket. How do you know?
1: Well, you're being exposed to me, Anne-Marie, where you you know, we're hearing about, you know, high level prevention all the time, um, constant access and interaction, uh, you know, innovative treatment and care and uh, you know, I'm gonna say outside the box thinking. So unfortunately, you're you know, the more you're around you think it's the norm, and it just isn't. The norm is Your doctor sees 40 people, which is too many in a day, and they're not seeing enough because they have patients that can't get in. That's crazy. No, That's crazy.
0: It's unbelievable what you have to do to get in to see even – you know the other specialists, like the cardiologists, the OB Gyns, the like Siobhan had an appointment with the dermatologist. Yeah, who's... I was just
2: gonna say it's like they're they're flying by the room. You know, it's like you get twenty seconds. You got to catch them and be like, oh hey, the, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And then it's like here's a prescription. And you know they just keep on going by. I mean, there's like no time, no time at all to go over well, anything.
1: Well, maybe because I had COVID early on, I wasn't afraid of it and I wasn't afraid to see patients and to and to be around other sick people and that may have been why because if you didn't have covid you didn't know what it was even as a doctor you had no reference point and you were afraid to get it and early on you saw the photos of unhealthy looking hospital doctors you know critical care doctors and pulmonologists dead and um so it's, I can understand the fear. Uh, the problem is you still have to, that's the job you took. Again, it's not to, it's not, a, you know, we didn't go in the army where, you know, we're willing to give up our lives for care, but still, I think because I had COVID at the very beginning, I really wasn't afraid of it and I was happy to see people
0: that need to be seen. And most of your patients, by the way, didn't wind up in the hospital Siobhan, we should start with you. I see you're playing with Pino the dog. but Pino you have the a- dog
2: was covering up my list of callers, so <laughs> okay. he was obstructing my view. Um, so, yeah, on the phone we have Pat from LaPierre. Pat, what's your question?
4: Hi, great show. I love listening. every week. My question is about uh, both prevention and diagnostics together. I had a very strange 2020 on top of, obviously, the COVID situations. A lot of misdiagnostics, surgical issues. Anyway, the long and the short of it is I ended up last October having to have a full-body MRI for them trying to figure out what's going on with me. Uh, I shouldn't say full-body, from the neck to the torso. And um, while I was in there, it was very interesting. Uh, I ended up having to have a scope, and they found holes in my stomach. But what was more interesting to me was that a nephrologist came in and said, well, well, we had the whole body MRI or the torso MRI. We found a mass on your kidney. Doesn't look bad, but we're going to do a biopsy, which I have scheduled in two weeks. In comes the general surgeon. You know what? We found two rips in your abdomen. Looks like you're going to need a couple more hernias on top of the ones you got. And it really got me to thinking, you know, why couldn't we use MRIs as diagnostic tools if we're willing to pay out of pocket? Because I know no insurance company is going to do it as a preventive component. But if you know, I looked into it anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000, if I paid to have a torso MRI and then took it to each one of the specialists that I make an appointment to, would that be a good source, uh, source of preventative medicine for masses and all the different organs and so forth?
1: Well, Pat, thanks for that call because it is an interesting topic for us to talk about. So a few years ago, and Amory will know this, that we did, you know, there was a thing going around about body CAT scans you know, like yeah. screening mm-hmm. for cancer. So, you know, MRIs are you know just different, I'm going to say more expensive, but depending on what you're looking at, has a higher resolution and there's no um, radiation. Uh, but a few years ago, you, everyone had the opportunity for maybe $1,000 to get a body CAT scan. The problem with those tests are, and I'll say the MRI too, like you just are experiencing this yourself, you found a lot of things that you may not have needed to find. So maybe this MRI saved your life and that you have a kidney cancer and you're going to have it diagnosed. And I'd like you to follow up with us to let us know what happened with your biopsy down the road. Um, But for a lot of people, what we end up is finding something called incidentalomas, you know, little nodules or growths that we just didn't need to find. And what ends up happening is we've got to follow up on those. So this little innocent, hey, CAT scan, let me see if I have any cancer I can find. Now you end up getting CAT scans every three months, four months, six months, more radiation, more dye that affects your kidneys and causes kidney problems, all to follow these little nodules that you probably didn't need to know about at all. So that type of screening is not good. What is coming down the road, and what I mean by down the road is I'm hoping it's just in a couple years, is something called liquid biopsies. And a liquid biopsy is you're going to be able to get a blood test that identifies the metabolites that are in your blood in an extremely microscopic level. And these are metabolites that are only produced by cancer cells. So cancer cells have a different metabolism than our normal cells. They produce byproducts that are only produced by cancer cells. And the resolution of the blood work is ridiculous. So you're going to be able to get a blood test and know that you have a cancer in a minuscule amount. And it'll even tell you where to look for that cancer and then have it removed at stage one. So that's where prevention is going, not with full body imaging.
0: Good question and good answer.
1: Very interesting. Yes, we had another uh, caller
2: Yeah, come through. We have Mark in Fenton. Mark, what's your question?
4: Hi, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. My my question is, uh, since January, I had a flu shot six weeks ago. I had my um, um, single shot, and now I'm thinking about getting a COVID shot. Is that too many shots for me to take mm. at one time, or is it good to mix them as, as it is?
1: Um, so wait a month before, between your shingles shot and your COVID shot. And they'll tell you that when you're getting your COVID shot, not to get this on top of another vaccine. And I definitely wouldn't get another vaccine between your two COVID shots or one COVID shot, but I'll say your two, which is what I would tell you to do. So, um, no, I, it's great. It's good to get a shingles vaccine because I don't know how old you are. How old are you?
4: I am sixty-three. I already got my single shot. I was wondering Good. if it's too much to get the the COVID shot this close.
1: No, Six well, wait, wait. Six weeks is fine. You can go get your um, COVID shot and then uh, your and and do that series. So it's not too soon.
0: It's not. It's it's not too close. Okay, Mark, thanks for calling. Siobhan, what's your heartwarming story you were going to tell us about over the break?
2: Oh, yeah, well, it was interesting because the first caller, it kind of reminded me of like, oh, you have all these things that show up or symptoms. But uh, I mean, speaking of, you know, not getting enough time with a doctor, I a couple of years ago had some weird symptoms of like these welts appearing on my leg. And I would go to the dermatologist and be like, okay, that it kind of feels like a mosquito bite, but they're multiplying. Oh, yeah, I remember this. And yeah, she'll she'll remember this. And um. You know, I went They said, okay, we're going to, you know, five minutes in the office, we're going to scrape it, do a biopsy or whatever. CEO, nothing showed up on the biopsy. It's fine. And I left and I'm like, you know what? I'm really bothered by this because this is not normal for me to have multiplying welts on my leg and to feel weird and tired. And I, you know, I said to my mom, I'm like, you know, I really think I should get a Lyme disease test because that I had noticed it. it didn't look like the classic Lyme bug bite or whatever, but I had to insist on getting that. And it's kind of disappointing to have to tell your doctor what sort of test you should get. In order, because it, it came up positive.
1: Did you do something about it? Yeah, well, yeah. They, they put me immediately
2: on um, right. doxycycline. Yeah. Okay,
1: good. Uh, you know, my patients teach me things sometimes. So, I mean, one of my happiest moments is a in, in a preventive practice is when my doctors, my patients, come back to me and tell me how I should be eating and how I should be working <laughs> out and where I should shop, and that means I won. You know, we've we've turned this person into a. You know, someone who's very focused on lifestyle. So I don't look at that as a bad thing necessarily. I mean, uh, well, it was
2: good that I knew right. to ask, but in the event that I didn't, I mean, what would have happened? I could have ended up with a chronic lifelong disease because, well, you know, they wanted to just, you know, scrape a piece right. of skin off, test it, and be like, oh, no, it's fine. But it's not normal to have that sort of symptom, you know?
1: Well, you're right. And at the same time, They listened to you and didn't put up a front and say, I'm not listening. You know, you're not the doctor and don't talk to me. But
0: why did she have to be her own diagnostician? Why did she have to do the research and figure out that this isn't good enough? This is just not a breakout. This is just not welts. This is just not bug bites. This is obviously something else because it keeps erupting. And she had to go online and look it up and do her own diagnosis, which I guess a lot of people are well, doing. Well, it's because... a matter of
2: not being able to spend enough time. I mean, if they literally have five minutes to see you and it's like in and out, I mean,
1: you, you know. Well, sometimes, again, as as the doctor, sometimes it takes more than one look to, like, come up with the diagnosis. And, like, that's a problem with, say, an urgent care. And that's a problem with not seeing the doctor that often, is that you go there one time? They get one shot at you, and you know when you have a, a relationship with your doctor, and, and the patient knows that they can see you anytime and talk to you anytime. You know we have this ongoing ability to um, evolve a, a diagnostic plan. It doesn't have to be oh my god I'm I'm in a perfect you know one thousand percent. Nobody is. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um, it is a factor of not having enough time. Uh, but also, they listen to you, and, and I, It's 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 sometimes it takes a team. You know, it takes a village to do it, um, or time, if they don't have the time. But you can't always do it in one shot. You need some, uh,
0: let me try this and then see how, what happens. Um, just the nature of it. And all of that still comes. Dr. Collender, over the break, you were saying you had a couple of things you wanted to talk about in the last segment, one of them being the COVID long haulers. Right.
1: So, you know, we had a caller ask about what do I do with my mom is getting, um, you know, immunosuppressed and drugs for vasculitis and, and the COVID vaccine. You know, we're in uncharted territory right now of what to do with COVID. And um, I'm dealing right now with a case with a guy who's a little younger than me, not too much younger, who has lung problems after having COVID. So no prior history of asthma, no issues. And all of a sudden he's got bad asthma. And, you know, we're both under the impression that this is COVID-related. You know, the challenge is, is, you know, we've got to continue to work him up for things that may not be COVID-related. And then if it is COVID-related, what do we do? Because traditional medicine has no room for him. You know, there's, there's no drug. You know, traditional medicine is, here's a problem. It's got a billing code. Here's a drug for this problem that the FDA has approved. There are zero FDA-approved drugs for chronic complications of COVID, and I'm going to suggest that no matter what that complication is, whether it's the brain or the lungs or the kidneys, the treatment may be the same because this is an inflammatory condition that's generated more disease. In, in the end, asthma is an inflammatory condition that's been aggravated by his exposure to COVID. Mm-hmm. So you know, this is going to be an interesting journey of, you know, how do I help this person? How do I know it's COVID? You know, um, of course we got to make sure it's not something else, but what do we do for someone with COVID, um, long hauler, chronic inflammation? You know, that's a bad word. That's a bad diet term. Long hauler, you know, they are not truckers. So, um, that's going to be interesting. How do we find out it's, you know, is there a blood test to monitor people, you know, Maybe we've got to start checking some blood tests that I'm not used to checking. Um, you know, interleukins, which is some of the inflammatory mediators that are elevated in people with COVID. I may have to start doing those to look at, at them as an idea that this is related to that. We're going to discover it as we go.
0: That's a good point. You know, thinking about the outshoot of people that have uh, did, were not sick before with a certain disease that got it because of COVID, and then it lingered on, and now they've, you know, they've inherited this disease, so to speak. And what you're saying is, let's look for the common denominator, which is probably inflammation, and then treat the common denominator, and then maybe you would eventually get rid of the ancillary disease process that hooked itself on to COVID.
1: Exactly. I'm going to treat him just like any other patient for this at the end of the day, which is, try to identify a marker that's related to this so that I can follow with progress. And then also look at all the other conditions that may be contributing to his inflammation. Cause he is a new patient relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, who's not really engaged in what I do for prevention yet. So he's a clean slate, but I've got to identify his other things in his system that may be contributing to inflammation. You make all those go away. It may help whatever's going on with his lungs after having COVID. So, that's going to be how I approach it. And then maybe later on, we'll do some other fairly novel type treatments that, again, I don't know that we're allowed to talk about on the air, but we'll try those too if you'll let me.
0: No, but at least you're doing the investigation. At least you're willing to, you know, look at how do we take care of this. You keep pushing, you keep digging. And that's one of the great things about your practice is that you don't stop at the first stop sign.
1: Well, we talked about, again, with Siobhan about, you know, a specialist having a specialist. And we said, you know, he's, you know, we said, look, I'll send you a pulmonologist, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe we can uh, have a take a look at that. But I also know this pulmonologist
0: has nothing to offer him. Well, I all just, roads it, right. lead back to you anyway. Right. So, <laughs> Siobhan, you have another yeah, caller? so we
2: had a caller come through. We have Lorraine on the line from Clinton Township. Lorraine, what's your question?
3: Hi, doctor. Um, you're an inflammatory expert, correct?
1: Yes, I am.
3: That's great. That's exactly what my son needs. Um, He was diagnosed with chronic inflammation at at the Mayo Clinic in uh, Minnesota. And um, we need someone that can determine how to stop his inflammatory process. It it happens to his jaw, to his hands, just random places. But his issue is so unique. Uh, He has mycoplasma um, and super high inflammatory markers every time he gets his blood drawn. And he doesn't have RA for sure. He's got this chronic inflammation. So he's 25. Um, it stems from a bad infection that was in his shoulder uh, due to a, a tool that was left in his shoulder during a surgery. And um, he can't seem to get this infection out of his body. He still runs high streptococcal bacteria and inflammatory markers. So is that something you think you could help us with, I hope?
1: Well, we can certainly try. So I'm I'm look forward to meeting you and him and uh again you know our numbers on the screens and through the show and you can uh find me pretty easily. So um give us a call and we can help you out.
0: So let me make it a little bit easier. You want to call Dr. Collander at 866 Collander, K O L E N D E R and follow up with that very interesting story though.
1: Yeah, no that's, that sounds like a challenge, but um you know, inflammation causes disease in unpredictable ways sometimes. So we always talk about looking at the arteries as a gauge of inflammation because that's an area that we can actually get an objective measure from. But sometimes it presents in ways that are unexpected that we're not able to measure objectively, and we still have to go and do the hard work of identifying
0: all the factors that may be contributing to help people. I think what's lost with most people is they just don't even understand what inflammation is, how you get it, what's, what causes it, and how you get rid of it. Because no doctor's ever relating to the patient on the basis of, well, you have chronic inflammation. They're just dealing with the upshot of the, or the end result of that inflammation, the the disease that comes from the inflammation, but they're not going back and treating the inflammation.
1: Well, that's where a healthcare system steps in and says, well, here's this end-stage condition that been caused by inflammation and it may present in a variety of ways. Again, I think COVID has opened up our eyes to what it can do. And, and I'm telling you what's going to happen is there's going to be drugs made to specifically treat COVID brain, COVID kidneys, COVID lung. And really it's the same thing. What it's, it's a systemic problem. It's not an isolated um organ-specific problem. It's This is a whole body issue that just happens to present one way in, and in one person and another way in a different person based on factors that none of us can predict. I mean, we can guess, but you cannot predict them, at least right now. So treating those people is should be very similar. Again, identifying other causes of disease and reducing their inflammation um, and hopefully will limit the, the impact of uh,
0: the viral disease. So again, coming back to your specialized practice of prevention, what age do people, are you recommending that people start coming to a practice like yours in order to get into this uh, journey of prevention?